Well, I greet each one of you this morning in the uh, worthy name of our Lord. And I am blessed to be here with you. Uh, Is this, am I wearing this right? No? Uh, Thank you. Some of this technology uh, is beyond me, I guess. <clears throat> anyway, I uh, am uh, am grateful to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to fellowship um, with you all. It has been uh, for me uh, the last, I would say, the last year or two have been a blessing to me to to get to know. Uh, those of you here at Oasis somewhat better, and I would love to get to know you all better still. I would uh, be glad for more interaction between our churches. Uh, I think that's a valuable thing for us to interact with one another and to uh, fellowship one with another. There is a um, bond that comes from having the same father, and there's also just a fellowship, uh, there's a, a strength that comes from a larger uh, body of believers. And so I'm grateful for that. <clears throat> this morning, I would like to um, give another why. I thought about it, um, about sharing it, but I thought, well, I'll uh, I'll talk about that when I get up here. I'd like to um, talk about a a concept that I believe can make a real difference in how we live our lives, in how we walk the Christian life, um, and. I can say that for me, as I realize this concept, as I think about it, it does behoove me to honor God, to serve Him with my whole heart, and I'd like to share some of that with you, uh, not as someone who has attained or as someone that thinks that you need more of it than I do, uh, not at all. I... I'm sharing it as as a truth from God's word and something that I find valuable in my own life and desire to just share what uh, what God has uh, revealed to me in this. Before I go into the message, let's just bow our heads to pray. Our heavenly Father, we do again at this time look to you, Lord, except you speak. We, Lord, are of all men most miserable. Unless you build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. And Lord, I do pray now that you would just illuminate your word to us, that you would uh, teach us that which you would have us taught, 
Help us, Lord, that we might attain unto higher ground, each one of us in our lives, as we go through life's journey, that we could uh, earnestly contend for the faith which you have delivered to us. Lord, that we would not become lackadaisical or nonchalant, but rather that we could passionately, Lord, and with earnestness give our lives to serve you and to serve one another and to broadcast your kingdom, your light to those around us. Help us, Lord, that we would not uh, grow cold or lukewarm, but rather that we could be hot, Lord, that out of our bellies would flow rivers of living water. Lord, we desire more of that. And Lord, we just pray now, have your way that you would move among us by your spirit. Give us, Lord, the bread of life, fresh bread, Lord, from the oven of heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. As you do that, I'll uh, relate a story. Back in 1910, in Sweden, there was a um, man by the name of Olaf Olafsson. I probably am not pronouncing the Swedish name uh, correctly, but that's the best I can do with it. And Olaf fell on hard times. And he had a, a unique way to try to get himself out of those hard times. When I say hard times, he, um, he came to the place where he just didn't have money and didn't know where to get it. But he came up with a unique way to, and I don't know how it occurred to him that this might work, but he determined that he would go to a university, Karolinska University, and offer them his body. That when he dies, they can have his body and do with it what they want, if they would give a certain amount of money. Well, they agreed that they would give him the money. They would give him the money, and when he died, his body was theirs. Well, the next year, he had an unexpected windfall. He received a bunch of money, I think through inheritance, and he decided... I am going to go and buy my body back. And so he went back to Karolinska University and he said, I'd like to buy my body back. However, he said it, but uh, that was the message. He wanted to renege on the agreement or, you know, just give the money back that he had been paid and then he could be out of it and his body would no longer be used for research and they could do, he could do what he wanted or his family could do what they wanted after he died. They wouldn't agree to that. And it went to court. And the court decided that the agreement is made and if they don't want 
to give you or, yeah, to allow you to have your body. They don't have to. And moreover, he had two teeth pulled the previous year and he had to uh, reimburse them for those teeth that he had pulled. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And now if you would just go to the next chapter, I'd like to read a few verses from there. Start at verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 20. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called, being a servant, care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. Now, it's probably not a mystery to any of you why I gave you that story. After reading uh, these verses from these chapters, what I would like to dwell on here is the fact that in verse 20 of chapter 6, he says, For ye are bought with a price. And in verse 23 of chapter 7, he says, Ye are bought with a price. So we want to think about the fact that if you are a Christian this morning, You have been bought with a price. Now let's, I like natural illustrations to, to give us an understanding of spiritual realities. And I believe that's what we have here in what Paul is telling the Corinthians here. He's saying, don't you know, what? Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost? which is in you, or however it says it there. Um, what? Know ye not that you're the, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So if you've been bought with a price, think about it this way. If you go out to the auction, and I don't know if you have cattle auctions around here, but... Uh, let's say there's a cattle auction down the street and you're wanting to buy a cow. 
you go to the cattle auction and you raise your hand when the bidding starts. And when if you're the last one to raise your hand, you're going to be the owner of that cow, provided, of course, you uh, reach in your pocket and pay for it before you leave. Now, when you get home, you take that cow and you're going to milk it. But lo and behold, here comes the guy that you bought it from. And he says, you bought the cow, but not the milk. Now, what would you think? You'd probably say that's about as foolish as it could get. But I wonder if we are not a little bit like that sometimes in our own lives. Lord, yeah, you purchased me, but is he in full possession of you? You know, if you would go buy a house, and you know you have 60 days before you make settlement, you'd give a down payment and or whatever. You know that's a that's a common uh, uh, term that you would have between the time that you give the down payment and then you go and you make the final settlement. You give all of the money that was agreed upon, and they hand the keys over, and now that house is yours. Imagine if you would go and the owner. The previous owner of the house hands you a key and he says, here you go. This is for the living room. The rest of these keys, I, I'm keeping because this one's for the kitchen and this one's for the bedroom and this one's for, and you name it, all of the other rooms. I am only leaving one for your possession. You would say, well, the deal's off. And that's what God would say. If you aren't giving it all, then it's none of it. That's the standard. That's what God is asking. When he says, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, there's another thing that it's telling us there. He didn't buy a shack by the side of the road. He bought a temple. And what is a temple for? It's the place where God dwells. It's where God is worshipped. It's the place that's filled with His Spirit. And we want to look at some of those things as we go along here. You are bought with a price. That's the title of the message. Bought with a price. We sing the song, I suppose you all do, all that I am and have or have is thine, I will be true to thee. We we sing some really lofty things sometimes. Do we really do that in life? And I am not saying this because I know that some of you aren't doing that. I just know our tendency is, as humans, to give maybe a couple of the keys to several of the rooms of our heart. Our heart is still partially owned by.
by us or partially possessed by us. And we want to look at some particular areas of our heart as we go through here. In this country, we have what's called the Declaration of Independence. And in that Declaration of Independence, it says something along the lines that we believe that all men are endowed by their Creator with inalienable rights. Well, I am here to tell you, if you are bought with a price, you don't have those rights. Uh, the way they meant it, maybe, but again, you don't have rights. You are God's, and it's up to Him what you do. You don't have rights. In modern Christianity, we have this thing where if you'll accept Christ... He'll give you peace of mind and solve your problems and prosper your business and protect your family and keep them happy. And you're going to have a nice time all of your life. Does that sound familiar? Well, I, I think that is a gospel that is being preached far too often by far too many. And I wonder if we aren't besmirked by it sometimes ourselves. Because we, we want to be a Christian because it's going to make us happy. It's going to give us peace. It's going to give us joy. We're going to have this nice life now. Is that really the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? He said, if a man will not forsake father and mother and brother and sister, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. It says in Acts that they went preaching that through much tribulation we shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Does that sound like give your heart to God and everything is going to be really nice and you're going to have this blessed and wonderful time? And there is truth to, to that. There is a peace which passes understanding. There's a joy unspeakable and full of glory that comes with having your sins forgiven and your iniquities covered. There is something that I wouldn't give for everything in the world. And I want to also look at the, some of the aspects of being bought by who we've been bought and what it means. So let's think about who we have been bought from. Maybe we should think about that for a moment. It says in Romans chapter 7 verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So you were the slave of a cruel and harsh taskmaster. That's who you've been bought from. That cruel and harsh taskmaster, Satan, the flesh, the enemy of our souls, is the one that you have been bought from. You have been bought by God. And we're going to talk a little bit about the purchase price as we go along. 
Let's think about a few principles of ownership of living creatures. That which is owned is the possession of the owner. It is for the owner's pleasure. And property has no rights. Now, I'd like to tell you another story. Back in the Vietnam conflict, there was a young man who had gone to West Point Academy. And when he graduated from there, he enlisted there in Vietnam and went over and was a lieutenant there in Vietnam. He was someone respected by his cohorts there. And one night as they were out, they came under fire from the Viet Cong. And the Viet Cong pursued them and pinned them down and actually wounded one of them. But he was able to get all of his men over into the trench except the one that was wounded. And as they were there in the trench, or I'm not sure if it was a trench, but anyway, they were away from the fire that was coming in. They could hear the moans and the crying of their fellow soldier laying out there on the ground. But they knew the danger that there was in any one of them trying to go because the bullets were flying. If they would go over there to try to rescue their fellow soldier, it would be very likely that they would be killed by the fire, the gunfire. The night wore on, and finally that lieutenant said, I can't take it. I'm going to try it. And he went for it. He went for the man that was moaning and groaning and crying over there and he grabbed him. He took him and just as he pushed him into the trench, a bullet hit him in his spine and he died. The young man that had been wounded, recovered, came back here to the States And it was told to the parents of the lieutenant who this young man was. And, you know, they said, we would like to meet the young man that our son gave his life for. So they invited him over for supper. That young man arrived Drunk and did all manner of foolish and ridiculous things that evening when he was there to visit the parents of the one who had saved his life. When he went out the door that night, the mother collapsed cried and said, did our son have to give his life for such a heap as that or something like that? Again, we see he paid, that young man 
Although he didn't know that he would pay the ultimate price, he did. And he was not ignorant of the fact that he might when he went out there to do it. His parents, I don't know if they're still living now, probably not, but um, they were grieving because their son had given his life for such a vile person as that. I think you can understand why I give you that story. Are we what God purchased? Are we giving him what he purchased? My parents, back 20 years ago, were living down in Bolivia, South America, and they bought a large farm or ranch or whatever you'd want to call it there. And it was so large that you didn't get over it, uh, you know, all of the time. You, there was a road that went around and came in on the other side of the property. And they farmed uh, a good part of it there where they lived. But on the back side, there was woods and monkeys and what all else goes in the jungle there. But back on the back side, there was a creek and whatnot that ran through. But there was a road that a small road that came out of the village going on the back side of this property. We had gone over to visit. And while we were over there visiting, they showed me that on the back side of this property, there had been a squatter that had come in and built a little house and planted himself a little garden and done, you know, I mean, he just set up housekeeping on the backside of their property. Now, what do you think? Were they real happy about that? Did they think that was a good idea? They paid good money for this property. And here, somebody thinks all they need to do is just come in there and set up housekeeping, pay nothing for it, tell them nothing about it, and go about their merry way. Again, could it be that sometimes we do similar things in our life? Although we have been purchased with a price, although we have been bought with a price, we are still partially servants of someone else. We are still not in full possession, or God is not in full possession of us. I'd like to think about how uh, a few of the scriptures that deal with us being gods. In Psalms chapter 95, verse 7, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand today, if you will hear his voice. Psalm 79, 13, so we, thy people and sheep of thy pasture will give thee thanks forever. We will show forth thy praise to all generations. Psalms chapter 100, verse 1, it says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. 
enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting. Think about it this way. Here we have the example given of we are his sheep in his pasture. We know Psalms chapter 23, the pasture that we are in. God does not intend for us to be in brown, dried up pastures. He leadeth me beside the still water. He restores my soul. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. He leads me in uh, green pastures. That's where we're at, not in the brown ones. We are not by uh, roaring waters. We are by still waters. A calm that comes with serving God. So what happens when God doesn't have full possession? I think you can go down to the jail and see what happens. When God doesn't have possession, you can go there and see what happens. That's what happens. You will be in the hands of a cruel taskmaster and that taskmaster will do to you what seems good to him who would you rather serve you're a slave one way or another it's not a matter of not being a servant it's not a matter that you can say oh well i don't want to be a slave you're going to be a slave to someone who do you choose Who would you rather be a slave of? Would you rather be the sheep of his pasture or the sheep out on a cold mountainside trying to find a little bit to nibble here and there? I would rather be in the green pastures, in his pastures. Let's think about the principle of stewardship. In uh, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15, it says, A child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. I said, let's think about the principle of stewardship. In <clears throat> Is it in Kings where we have the um, example there of the man who had borrowed an axe from his neighbor and he was out there cutting the trees And all of a sudden, that axe head flew into the river. Do you remember what he said to the prophet? Now imagine if it was his own axe head. But he said, alas, it was borrowed. And I think you know the principle. If you borrow something from somebody, you... At least you should, and I I think that's just the normal tendency. You are going to take better care of it than you do your own because, hey, I don't want to give something back that I borrowed. They were good enough to let me borrow this. I certainly don't want to give it back in worse condition than I received it. I'm going to take really good care of this. Well, think about your body a little bit that way. Think about yourself 
as having been bought with a price. You are not your own. You're borrowed. You're a steward. What is your perception? And how do you conceive these things? Are you living your life that way? As though you were borrowed. As that man. Alas. It was a borrowed axe. What am I going to do? If it had been my own. Well. I guess I could go out and you know. Make do without it. But it was borrowed. I have to give it back. We don't have any right. To let ourselves lie waste. Think about the parable of the talents. You know, there you have the, the men who were given various amounts of talents. Five and two and one. And God did not have a problem with the ones, the, the one that had two because he only gained two more. He didn't gain near as much as the one that had five. He gained five more. But he did have a problem with the one that had one who took that talent and buried it in the ground in a nice napkin. You know, he's taken real good care of it, wasn't he? But God was not pleased. If you don't come back with more than he gave to start with, he won't be pleased. It's not enough. You know, if you put money in the bank on interest, you're not going to be satisfied to get the same amount out that you put in. Generally speaking, we buy something because we like the part or the, the uh, item that we're buying better than our money. That's why we'll part with it. And I think that is the way we can see some of this. Now, obviously, um, some of that will break down depending on where we go with it. Some years ago, back in Tennessee... We uh, we had a, a farm there with uh, Angus cattle, and I decided it would be a good idea to have Border Collie. Uh, they are a herd dog that you know you can use to to bring your cattle up. And I heard of this man that had well trained Border Collies, and so we, my boys and I, we went over there to uh, see about buying some pups. Or a pup. Well, this is an older man who used to go to the field trials with his dogs. And and he just enjoyed, you know, getting out with his dogs. And so it was a, a pastime for him, for him to show off what his dogs could do. Well, and we were very glad to humor him. And he had all of these sheep. And... He asked, uh, what do you want me to do? Okay, so he had them all there um, out in the pasture. So he got them up. He got the, the dogs, went out and brought them up. He, he told them to do that. When he got them up there, he asked one of the boys, said, uh, now which one of those sheep shall we load on the truck? 
And so they picked one out, of course, out of the middle. And he stood back from a distance and he told those dogs what to do to get in to the right sheep and take it out of the middle of those sheep and put it over in the corner. And they did it. And you know what? Those dogs, they looked to me like they weren't having the time of their life. They, they were just there. I mean, they were hunched down. And as soon as he gave a command, they were at it. They couldn't wait to do what they were told. How is it with you? Can you just not wait to do what God wants to do? Are you finding the Christian life that way? That you just can't wait to do what God wants you to do? After that, he said, okay, let's go ahead and put them down in the field. So he started getting these dogs to herd them down into the field. Actually, no, let me give you another before that. After they had put the sheep in the in the corner there, he said, jump into the trough. And just like that, they all jumped right into the water trough. And they enjoyed it. They were slopping and carrying on. It was just like, I mean, whatever he told them to do, it was the joy of their life. And after they had cooled off a bit, it was warm, and they cooled off a bit. Then he gets them going down the hill. And then he asked the boys again, Shall we put him across the bridge or shall we put him over on this side? Well, you can guess what we said. Uh, let's put him across the bridge. We want to see what uh, what you can do. So he's up there whistling and he has a certain way to whistle to make him go one way and a certain way to whistle to make him go another, another way to tell him to stop. And and I, I couldn't make sense out of it. Those dogs could because they done exactly what he asked them to do. How about you? How is it in your life? I think we can, and maybe we should just turn to the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, right where we were uh, reading from earlier. Here it's talking about uh, the wife. It says, the wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise, also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. This uh, power here is talking about authority. So here he's saying that the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, nor does the wife have authority over hers. It's the husband. So let's think about the husband for a minute. And, okay, so it's the wedding day, and I'm about... To not be my own anymore. I'm going to be my wife's. This is the, the, the most sorrowful day of my life. Today, I am going to not be my own anymore. I'm going to be my wife's. Do you think that's the way it was? Is that the way it was for you? I doubt it. If it was, there's something wrong. I believe that today... For those of, and one of the things that I commented to my wife after a brother's meeting here is the number of young families here. I'm blessed with that. And, but think about it. How many of you women 
thought the day of your wedding was the most horrible day of your life because today I'm no longer going to be my own. That's what I'd like to point out here. It's not a bad thing to be owned by God, to be His. It's no more a bad thing than it is for my wife to be mine and I to be hers. I would guess that for some of you, there's still butterflies in your uh, heart because of the experience and, and the joy that it is. By the way, I don't know about butterflies, but it's still a real blessing after many years for us. And I would not want to change a thing. Romans 14.8 says, For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. So, let's think a bit about the taking possession and the transfer of ownership. You know, when you buy property, um, I didn't look at the property deed recently, but it will say something along the lines of, you are purchasing this property without any encumbrances. There's nothing against this property. There's no one else that has any liens. There's no one else that has any rights to this property. It's all yours. And that's why some people will buy title insurance to verify this, to make sure of that, that they are getting everything when they purchase that. Again, did God get all of you? So what was the price that was paid? I mentioned something earlier about the fact that we part with our money because we like what we're getting more than we did our money. So that just seems plausible to me that the more you give for something, the more value you're putting on what you're buying. I would suggest to you that it's the same way with God. First Peter, what was the price? First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but... With the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. That's the price that was paid for you and me. The precious blood of Christ. The life. God was willing 
to give his only begotten son so that those of us that were perishing could have everlasting life. Now, let's think a little bit. Again, I had mentioned it earlier, but think what he purchased. What was his purpose in purchasing? You know, many times when you see someone buy a place, you'll see a transformation happen after they buy it. Because when they looked at that property, they seen something there that they wanted to do with it, and they start working on it, and making that property fit their needs after they purchase it. That's what God desires of us. He purchased us for a certain reason. And let's look at that. We have already looked there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. I'll just read it again. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? That is what he purchased it for, is for a temple. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For... The temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now, let's just think about it in the natural sense. In Judah, you had various cities, but the capital was Jerusalem. That was the city of David. That was the, uh, the most splendorous city. But the most splendorous building in that city was the temple. That was the place where God dwelt. That place was overlaid with gold. You've probably seen in Lancaster their illustration of the tabernacle there. To give you some idea of a little bit of some of the the way things were laid out in the temple. You had there in Jerusalem... You had the temple, that was where God dwelled. You had the holy of holies where there was a curtain. Uh, uh, No one except the priest would go in there once a year. And the rest of the place was holy as well. It had to be sanctified, it had to be cleansed. They had all kinds of rituals and things that they'd done day after day after day. The light couldn't go out, they had to do things The right way. That's what you are. You are the most magnificent building in Jerusalem. You are the place where God dwells. It must be a sanctified and holy place. Be careful what happens in that temple. Be careful what you do with that temple. Be careful what it sees. Be careful with whom it associates. Be careful. Be 
careful with the temple of the Holy Ghost. Be careful how it reacts. Is God getting a good return on his investment in my life, in your life? What are you producing for the kingdom of God? And again, this is not meant to be... uh, Something that brings condemnation, not by any means. I would, I think it's good for us to examine ourselves from time to time, and that is my heart to do in my own life as I think about these things. Um, are there some things, are there some rooms in this temple that nobody is allowed into? Do you have some secret places? Is there something in there that no one has a key to if so then it's time that you give God full possession it's time you will not experience the blessings that God would have for you unless you do unless you're willing to allow him full possession of the temple remember the money changers It seems that Jesus became more stirred up, if I can use that term, at that point than any other point. And what was it? Those money changers were in there selling their their animals and whatnot in the temple. He had the the tables and he went in there with a, uh, a whip of cords or a scourge of cords, it says, and drove them out of there. And he talked about how that they have made the house of prayer. What did it say? Um, can't think exactly how it's worded there. But anyway, um, he quoted from the Old Testament and drove them out. So, I guess what I would ask you. Are there books? Other media? Is there, are there other things in your life that isn't holy? Maybe it's not even bad, but is it holy? Is it something, and I'm not trying to say that everything has to have a uh, a doctrinal uh, point in the book or whatever, uh, but I believe that we should be careful that we don't have just fluffy things that actually will draw us away. Rather, let's... Spend our time, our energy, and our finances on things that have eternal value. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Is it yours? Is that your food? Is that what you live for? What about your thought life? Is your temple holy? In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, through the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. If your car 
would start two out of three times. Would you consider that acceptable? If your lights would come on three out of four times, would that be acceptable? If whatever you, you, you can think of it yourself and think about the things that you have an expectation of 100%. You expect 100%. You don't expect to flip the light switch on and only three out of four times is that thing going to come on. If it doesn't, you're going to do something about it. Do you think that God might be that way too? If you are giving him 60% or 70% or 80%, is he going to be satisfied without full possession of your life? All that I am or have is thine. In uh, conclusion, I'd like to again just remind us of the talents, the parable of the talents there. And we see that God said, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Thou hast been faithful in a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. And so we recognize here that God looks at faithfulness. And that is what I would like to bring in here at the conclusion again. Let us think about it. How faithful are we? How sanctified is his temple? How much possession does he have of you? Your body is not an outhouse. It's a temple. Your body is not a shack by the road. It's the temple of the Holy Ghost. It was purchased with an exceeding high price. That gives you some perspective of the value that's placed on you by God. Does he have full possession? Are you thrilled like those dogs to be his? Or like that bride on her wedding day? Are you thrilled that you get to be his? Or do you still hanker after some of your former Owners, things. Does your temple glorify God? In Jerusalem, the temple was the outstanding edifice of the place. That was the most spectacular building in all of Jerusalem. And there God dwelled. And that was for all practical purposes, probably the main reason that it was what it was, because people came from miles around to come and worship God there. Is your temple holy or does it have the money changers there? Does it have something else that is not bringing glory to God? 
And again, this message is not because I know of anything in any of your lives. It is because I think it's good for us to evaluate from time to time and say, you know, God did pay a high price for me. He paid a high price, not for a shack by the road, but for a temple. Did he get what he purchased? God bless you.